0: We're going to continue talking about uh, the, our series Satisfied, and in doing this over the summer, we're just looking at really who God is, you know, because summers are really about uh, times for me, my best memories from summer are times of vacation when we go places, and I just, I just sit and I drink in the beauty of a mountain, or, the, or and, and it just refreshes me, it just satisfies me, and, and we're just taking the summer to spend time looking at who God is, the different ways he reveals himself to us. And uh, we started last week by talking about how he reveals himself as the ultimate expression of who he is in the Old Testament, as the God who is there. And if you actually look at the final way he describes himself in the New Testament, he combines what we're going to talk about today as well with the idea that he is always there for us. It's It's one of the most profound truths that we can ever experience. And we've all experienced it as dads. We've all experienced it as kids. If our parents were there, it made a huge difference in our life. If they weren't there, we walk wounded. The fact that God is always there is just so amazing. Today we actually look at, again at another name, and the way we're going to set this up is uh, we're going to go back, and you're going to see in a second a clip here that is based in Egypt uh, or, or that area uh, back uh, about 2,025, 3,000, 3,500 years ago. I'm getting my math here in my head as I'm talking out loud with my calculations going on. How do you like that? And uh, and you'll see the people of Israel who have been just, just recently have left Egypt and they are headed to the promised land and they find themselves up against this barrier. God has led them the whole way, but now all of a sudden he's led them into what feels like a trap. So go ahead and watch this. It sets the context for today. context for who God reveals himself to be begins with this story it begins with the story of Moses and the Israelites trapped up against the sea with the with the with the, with the Egyptian army closing in on them they're unarmed they're just going to get slaughtered and the people begin to grumble and complain saying how could God have brought us here and Moses turns and listens to God and we see this great amazing miracle happen now there's some who would say you know how can a miracle like this happen i mean this just seems so weird and how can you actually believe this is true? Well, it's actually more difficult for me to believe it couldn't happen than to believe it could happen. If there's a God who created everything, then then this is a simple act for him to do, even as amazing as it seems to us. But can you imagine the joy? Can you imagine the emotion of the people that day as they were standing there? Can you imagine what they would have been thinking uh, think about think about the time that, that, that you just... Uh, when you think of this time, it's the, it's the most amazing experience you've ever had, maybe in nature of the power of God, of contemplating how big and how powerful He must be. For me, when I think of that experience, it's my first visitation to, uh, to uh, Mount St. Helens and thinking of the power of that. But multiply that by a thousand times to get even a sense of what these people must have been feeling. Or Or think about the time you... You came near death or you flirted with death or danger and you, you came out alive. And and the, the emotion, the joy, the, 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 the disbelief and the amazement that you actually made it, that you're okay. Such intense emotions. Exodus 14 summarizes their emotions in this way and it, it's really, to me, kind of the epitome of understatement. It says... And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses' His servant. Talk about understatement, but can you imagine even trying to put words to that emotion? They try a little harder in chapter 15 and we're going to read a little, read a little bit of a song that they sang as a people of Israel in, in celebration of this. In verse 1 it starts off, it says this, Then Moses and the Israelites sang the song to the Lord. And they said, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and the rider, the, the people who are threatening to kill us are thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God, this this God who I'd heard stories for 400 years in Egypt about doing all these amazing things. Now I've seen him. This is my father's God, and I will exalt him. And skipping down to verse 11, it says, Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. And we start to see them in this song of celebration, return, begin to begin to spark hope. Because as we watch this journey of the Israelites from, from Egypt to the promised land, especially up to this point, we see them through this whole deliverance process from Egypt and the slavery of Egypt vacillating back and forth between there's this dream of the promised land, there's this dream of freedom. From the pain, from the bondage, from the humiliation we experience every day. And yet, then a few minutes later, they just go, Well, I, I don't know. I don't know if I want to follow. And we see them vacillating. But, but now, in this great act of God, in the face of it, they're putting their trust more in Him. And, and, they're, and they're talking about a future hope again a little bit more. And it goes on and it says, In your strength, you will guide them or us to your holy dwelling. The hope turns towards the future. And they've been asking the question, will will God lead us to the promised land or not? And now it turns to the future, and and, and isn't it hard? I mean, the vacillating, we sometimes look at that and go, oh, how weak. I mean, you know, God did these amazing things. If he did that for us, I would not vacillate. But, But the reality is for us that our own dreams to be free are hard to follow. We have dreams of what we want a marriage to be like or what we want our life to be like. We have dreams of, of finally feeling fully accepted because maybe we were rejected at some point or we have wounds in our life at some point. And, and, and we have dreams of what our job or our, our other things will, will look like. And, and yet it's so easy to vacillate. But, but in, in light of this, they go on and they say, the nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. See, God had promised that He would give them to the, the, the land of the Philistines and the, and the Edomites and some other people who, who God had been patient with, and God was going to allow them to displace because of their refusal to uh, come to Him. So it's interesting because in light of that great victory, it's almost like, it's almost like it reminds me of, uh, of, of high school. You know, when you when you were told you could never win a basketball game and you just crush somebody that you were told you were going to get crushed by and you go home on the bus and you're you're pounding the top of the bus and you're feeling unstoppable or or you know emotions are such an interesting thing in our lives and in our faith you know, if you've had a close call with death, I can imagine that you've experienced that feeling of, of intense adrenaline and excitement from, from surviving and then, and then the crash later. And, and I think as the story goes on, it's, it's pretty obvious that that's what's happening to a certain extent because it's just, like, uh, it's just like winning a great game when you're the underdog and then hearing the ESPN analysts all come on after the game and say, you know, will they be able to sustain this or will they come out flat and fall the next time? So Israel, in the face of this great victory at the Red Sea, marches into this desert called Shur. And there's a couple different ideas for where this was. This is the most prominent idea of where it is. And and if you were to zoom in on that wilderness of Shur there, you would see that it's exactly like the name describes. The the, the name sure actually means wall. And if you've been a marathon runner or if you've ever done something really difficult where you know you hit that wall and you go, how can I get through this? How can I finish? You hear marathon runners talking about it all the time. That's exactly like this wilderness. It's so desolate that you can take off and you can feel good, but the only way you're going to get through it is through superhuman strength to endure dry, hot, difficult, dusty travel. And so God takes them from this great victory and leads them three days to this place called Mara. And it says, when they came to Mara, they could not drink its water. They'd been without water for three days. They could not drink its water because it was bitter. In other words, they were at a spring that if they drank, they were going to get sick. If they didn't drink, they were going to die. Three, grueling, hot, Headache-filled days from dehydration. Headache-filled days from the idea that my kids are complaining all day long, Daddy, I want a drink. I'm thirsty. Headache-ridden days because you're wondering whether your kids are going to survive. And you're taking that stress on. And you hit the wall. And you start asking, why is God cruel? Why would He bring us out here? verse 24 it says, So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Good question, right? It's not outrageous at all to ask, what are we going to drink? It's, very, it's a very obvious, reasonable question. You know, I mean, it's obvious enough that it's its kind of like, like the feeling that goes on for us when we swing from moods, if you've ever been a runner or something like that, and you go out and run and work out really great, and you feel great one day, and the next day you tweak your back. Have you ever done that? And it makes you feel 100 years older than you really are. And you become just this really grumpy person asking questions, why? But God in this whole interaction today where he reveals another part of himself is leading us on this really critical faith journey. It's this journey that's critical for their faith and it's it's really the heart of our faith today. And it asks the question, how do we deal with the bitterness of our life? How how do we deal with being people of faith and having high expectations for God's power and presence and yet live in the reality of the day-to-day? What does that look like in the difficult struggles of life? You see, because like the Israelites, for us, it can be so easy to forget the pain of our past when we walk into something towards a promised land of an unknown, you, maybe you've had a lot of pain in your marriage, and you decide to go for counseling, and you decide to try to change some things. But when you change some things, it causes more conflict, and, and you're walking into the unknown, and you don't know—you don't even know whether it's going to be where you want to be. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you look back, and, and Egypt isn't looking so bad. Because our tendency, when God invites us to faith and invites us to change, our tendency is to be more uncomfortable with the unknown. Than with the known bad in our life. And God wants us to learn a lesson in who he is and in the process of how he deals with them here to be able to walk through the journey and the bitterness. Because the journey towards our promised land, the journey towards healing is so much different oftentimes than we expect. In this instance, for the Israelites, can you imagine having left there and, and shouting, yeah, all the, all the armies are going to flee us and we're going to have our land and it's going to be really easy and amazing. And then three days later, that dream that seems so close is now so far away. And will it ever even happen? Will I ever even make it there? There's, we, we struggle with disappointment as we, as we try to change our lives. The disappointment because the dream and the journey doesn't look like we wanted it to. The dream about how our marriage would become satisfying doesn't look as easy and as good as we hoped it would. Or the dream about our job isn't as easy. And and we deal with the the bitterness of sickness or emotional pain or or sin. And and we deal with divorce and abandonment. and, And all these things become dream killers in our life of the promised land God wants us to bring us to. The Israelites asked the simple question, what are we to drink? It's a fair, valid question. You see, they, they grumbled and complained, and but even to us, that doesn't seem that unreasonable. How many times do you have a really bad day at work and you come home with a headache and, and, and you're a little cranky and, and everybody, just says, everybody just kind of treats you and says, well, you know, it's okay. He's had a bad day. It's okay for him to be grumbling and complaining. And, and we... We dismiss that kind of thing on a regular basis because we all know that our physical condition so easily trumps our emotional and spiritual joy in life. In verse 25 it says, then, then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. And then it goes on to say, There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and he tested them. He was trying to test them to strengthen their faith. And he said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in your eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, he says this, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. And then he reveals who he is to us. He says, for I am the Lord who heals you. I am the God who who heals you last week he's i am the god who is always there and this week he says i am the god who heals you you see god's wanting in this lesson today to to expand our trust in him to teach us a huge faith lesson on how to live life with faith with high expectations of his presence and his power showing up in our life and yet and yet deal with the reality of life in a way that doesn't tank our faith You know, the Israelites did what we so easily do, I think, emotionally. We go from a really high experience of God and we trust His love and we trust His faith and we believe He's good for us. And then we hit this roadblock three days later and we all of a sudden start to think, well, maybe God really isn't good. Maybe He isn't for me. Or or maybe maybe because He judged the Egyptians of sin and I have sin and I'm not fully good, then, then He must be doing the same thing to me. And we start to put this distance and this rationale up with God and and almost create this God who now is against us and judging us and, and, and God instead reinforces his love and his patience and says to them, no, I'm the God who heals you. I'm the God who provides everything you need to have provided to become whole again. In fact, the Hebrew word is rafa or rofe, depending on how you translate it or I believe it's supposed to be said. And it, and it basically means heal or restore to wholeness or, or make, make healthy. It means the idea of if I'm going to take you and restore you from your damaged state to your original good state. And it's used over 60 times in the Old Testament most of the time in relation to physical healing. But in this instance, it's actually used in relation to healing of nature around us and, and God's desire to bring health to nature around us so we have health in, in healing the water. And we even see that again in Second Kings, Kings 2. And, and then in, in another way to get another idea of the meaning of it as well is he, in First 1 Kings 18.30, we see Elijah repairing or healing the altar of Jehovah to bring back order, to bring back the beauty of what it was. Was to allow God's purposes to happen again through us. God heals us spiritually. In Psalm 107, it says, "Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction or sickness because of their iniquities, because of their sin." They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and He saved them from their distress. He sent forth His word and healed them and He rescued them from the grave. You see, God wants to heal us of the damage that sin has caused in our life, whether it's our sin or someone else's. Psalm 147 says this about how He wants to heal us. He says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Broken, The idea of bursting, to break into pieces, to crush, to smash. And you know what? There have been times in my life where I've felt that way, and I'm sure you felt that way. Like everything around us, I just am crushed emotionally. I'm so wounded and hurt inside. And God says, I want to come to you and tenderly bind that up. I want to bring healing to your broken heart. He's basically saying to us, I don't want to leave you in your pain. I don't want to leave you there. I don't want you to be stuck your whole life feeling like you were rejected and that constantly coming back and tanking your life. I don't want to leave you in your troubles. I want to heal you. And he gives us this promise that's connected to who he is. He names himself, his character, as the God who heals, who won't change whose whole intent towards us is to bring wholeness in every area of our life back to us in the promise that we read earlier there's uh, at least three hints about helping us to walk toward that kind of healing going back to verse 26 again it says if you listen carefully to the voice of the lord your god you see god works amazingly among the israelites but they're so much like us. When they, when they come to the more, next difficult thing, they flip and they, and they move from this place of trusting submission and just listening and waiting for him to lead to this active grumbling. This, they, they move from the position of allowing him to be their leader to them wanting to take back leadership because life isn't like they want it to be and they like they expected it to be. And so they start arguing with God and they, they take on this stress in their life. The first lesson on healing is that we need to remain in this receiving, trusting, inquisitive state with God where we're completely submitted to Him. It says carefully listen. Carefully is one of those words of intentionality. When we face bitterness, it's so easy to just jump into this problem-solving mode and this tension and take over and get angry. But God wants us to be intentional about taking a breath and listening and you know he wants us to pray but when we talk about prayer so often we think oh pray without ceasing or pray continually like first Thessalonians says and we go yeah right but we can't do that but 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 God's inviting us that prayer is more about listening to him and finding him and and God's in that safe place with you no matter what. We talked last week about God being there, and we're going to do another exercise at the end of trying to meditate on what we're talking about today. But last week I had you meditate on the idea of, of finding a safe place and, and seeing in your mind God being with you, using your imagination to connect with God. And we talked last week about Psalm 23 and how David found his safe place and what he grew up in in, this, in these shepherd hills and the, the place of God there with him and and David even, David even models this for us in the midst of battle, in the midst of tension, of learning to be listeners, of learning to sit back and rest in God. In Psalm 23, verse 5, he says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In the midst of bitterness, in the midst of threat, in the midst of fear, in the midst of the greatest tension, in the midst of a battlefield, he paints this picture of God creating the safe place for him to just rest and be replenished and listen to him. And David's able to learn to go to that place no matter what the stress he's facing. You see, part of the promise... Of this healing is actually preventative. It says, I will not bring upon you all the diseases of the Egyptians if you will do these things. There's a sense of God's healing is not just proactive in, in bringing miracles to heal us, but it's also preventative. And, and he says, if you'll find this place of rest in me, if you'll find this place of listening and staying submitted, I'll wipe away so much of the stress in your life. And you know, I just looked up just briefly a National Cancer Institute fact sheet on stress yesterday. And it And, you know, they they just in about three paragraphs said, well, this is what stress causes. It causes obesity. It causes heart tension. It causes depression. It causes various other illnesses. It can lead to unhealthy behaviors such as overeating, smoking, abusing drugs and alcohol, and and it can affect your cancer risk. It directly impacts, in fact, they said from studies, the behavior of cancer cells and that when you are more stressed, if you have cancer, the cancer grows faster and spreads faster. And they basically said, we don't know the physiology of why that happens, but we know that's what happens. And there's this direct correlation between trust, between staying submitted to God's leadership in our life as opposed to taking the stress of leading our own lives that leads to greater peace and joy and even health. And the ability to stay submitted starts with learning to cultivate this habit of listening when we face bitter times. You know, the people's response was grumbling and complaining, demanding. Moses' response was listening and asking God what to do. Now, we're not relegating God's desire to heal to simply to dealing with stress because he clearly performed a miracle here. But part of him in this process is holistic and preventative In bringing healing to us, verse 26 continues with the second point of the journey to healing. He says, "Do what is right in His eyes." Think about this. Think about the image you saw on the screen. They're standing before the Red Sea. They've got an army behind him. Everybody's stressed and they're grumbling there as well. And God says to Moses, "Do what. Raise a stick." Now, the only thing I don't like about this video is that is, is, you know, he gets this grimace on his face at one point where it kind of like makes you feel like he's got the power in him and he's just grimacing enough. I think it would have been more appropriate to say. I think that would have probably been a more appropriate visual image. And even here, at this bitter waters of Mara, Maybe somebody's really scientifically prone more than I, but I I cannot understand why throwing a piece of wood into water that's poison would make it good. I mean, what's that about? Those actions seem really strange. And yet the idea is that God says, when you listen, do what I ask you to do. And years ago, it was kind of talked about in some certain Christian circles under this term. It's, it's like our actions are a point of contact. You see, faith isn't faith until we take an action. Faith is just simply belief in a nice idea until we do something. And God knows that if we want to walk into healing, he's, we need to take some sort of active step towards that. And quite honestly, I look at these and I go, some of the active steps God asks us to do don't make any sense at all. There doesn't seem to be any relation between throwing wood in the water and, and, and the water being healed. And if you look in, in, in 2 Kings, Elisha uh, runs into the same thing where everybody's complaining about this water that's poison, and, and he takes salt and throws it in water to make it fresh. That just doesn't make sense, does it? And yet, these actions form kind of this point of contact where the action... There's no power in the action itself, but in taking our action and expressing the faith, even when it doesn't look sensible, when we're willing to even do something that might be embarrassing that God says for us to do, that somehow it becomes this point of contact where this this inert action joins us with God's very real presence and power and we experience it. You see, we experience that on a regular basis. We have it in some of the greatest traditions in the church. One of them is called baptism. Getting dunked under the water doesn't make you a Christian. It doesn't change anything. Getting dunked, it just makes you wet, and if the water is cold, it makes you cold, right? But it's this—it's this point of contact where, where we join God in the symbolism when you become a follower of Jesus. You choose to go and and declare this and it it becomes the symbol where we we really have a point at which we can say God washed us clean and and God's spirit really meets us there and and where we dunked under the water and and we declare that we're dead to him and now we're living to to ourselves and now we're living to him. And, And it becomes this place where even this silly little dunking like we used to do in the pool with friends who were swimming next to us becomes this place where God meets us in a very real way, in power. And we see it in Jesus' ministry and healing. We see it all the time. We see him where he would touch people and they'd be healed. We'd see where people would touch his garment and they would be healed. We see where he would put mud on people's eyes and say, go wash in this pool. Well, what is mud on the eyes and wash in the pool? How many ophthalmologists can tell me the mud on the eyes and washing in water will heal somebody's sight from being blind? It doesn't make any sense to do some of these things. In fact, some of these things are probably embarrassing. Can you imagine the blind guy walking through town with mud all over his eyes and people laughing at him? And yet God asks him to do those things, and he did it. And we even see it in the apostles and, and Acts where they prayed over scarves, and scarves were sent to people and people were healed. The, the scarves didn't have any magical power, but for some reason God will use different actions for us to express our faith. It begins with listening, and when we hear, it begins by acting, whatever it is. Verse 26 goes on further to say, the, for the third point, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, there's this, there's this element in healing, in the pursuit of healing, that is about obedience and sin. And, and sin is sin not because God wanted to create all these arbitrary rules that keep us from having fun. Sin is anything that damages us spiritually, emotionally, or physically. That's what the rules of sin in the Bible are about. It's about things that will damage us if we do them. And he he doesn't want anything to take away our abundant life of living in joy and peace and kindness and love and gratefulness and wholeness. Sin not only affects us spiritually, but it affects us physically as well. Psalm 38 says, Because of your wrath there is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. And the Bible elsewhere even talks about sin leading to death in the physical body. And now, when you start saying that, though, the reaction of most people is, oh, man, I'm never going to get healed then because I've got sin. And I may not even know what sin is holding me back and what sin is doing that. But let's back up for a second. What's the first thing the text says? It says, if you will listen to me, if you will carefully Listen to me. If God commands us to carefully listen to him, don't you think he wants to talk to us? Instead of us going on a witch hunt and blaming ourselves and feeling all guilty because maybe we've got sin that's causing this problem, maybe that's, that's what's going on, don't you think if we just listen and God asks us to that he wants to talk to us? And a few weeks ago we, we talked about in the in the uh, Rescued from Religion series, we talked about the fact as well that, that God when we ask Him to come, forgives everything in our life. Not just some of it. He forgives everything. And He's not the kind of God who demands that everything be cleaned up. Because we all know when we come to faith that it doesn't necessarily remove everything that we do wrong. We still struggle with sin. And yet God has forgiven that. But he He's okay just dealing with one or two or three things at a time. He, he, he covers the rest and it's good enough. You know, if you come to this whole issue of pain and sin and sickness or emotional or physical sickness in your life and you ask this question, is there any sin connection to my pain or sickness? Face that question in a constrained time period, a limited time period. David models this. In Psalm 139 he says, see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, take a look. See if there's any sin. If there is tell me and lead me in the way everlasting, to wholeness, to health, to the way you created me to be. And we see the pattern in David's life of being asking that and then walking on without guilt, asking it if he hears, repenting. If he doesn't hear anything, he just walks along without guilt and shame and he doesn't second guess and beat himself up over it. And that's how God wants us to walk our faith life as well. And yet Jesus makes it clear that not all sickness is a result of sin. We live in a fallen world. You may not have sinned and you may be sick and you may be emotionally damaged simply because of living in a falling world, not because of any sin of your part or maybe even a sin of somebody else's part. And yet God comes to the Israelite people in a time of great desperation, after great victory, and says, I'm the one who heals you. I'm the one who heals you. And by inviting us to listen and keep the posture of submission to him, by inviting us to act on these actions that become points of contact between us and the very real presence of God, and by willing, by being willing to allow him to point out sin and help us clean it, he wants us to learn to live this life of great faith, of great expectation that's not shaken by the bitter experiences of life, that's not shaken by the walls that we hit in our own lives. Psalm 103 paints this wonderful picture of, of who God is to us. And Would you just allow this to just kind of be like a mountain scene somehow to you that you would just drink in? It starts off saying, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Spend time meditating, pondering what this healing, what what Him being there for you looks like in the past. And even projecting that into the future of of God is my healer. What does that mean? God wants to restore me to wholeness in every area of my life. Who forgives all of your sins. Not some. Not, not Not just forgives them all now, but then when you sin now, everything's all back to unforgiven he forgives all your sins not part of them he doesn't he's not a person who's hot and cold who's who's fickle and accepts you at one point and then he's distant at another because he didn't behave good he always is a god who wants to draw close to you because all your sins are forgiven and he heals all your diseases through teaching us to live healthy, through doctors who he's given wisdom to, and through miraculously touching our lives to bring healing, who redeems your life from the pit. When things are going bad, when business or family or life is just going down the tubes, he wants to restore that to the beauty and bring healing there. And he crowns you with love and compassion. This is who He is to us as a healer. His goal for us, His desire for us to crown us with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So that when you're weak and tired and hot and dry and uh, drinking of Him satisfies every deep thing of your life and brings strength back to your life. I want you to join with me in revisiting the meditation and taking it one step further from last week. If you weren't here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain. Just go with me. We're gonna just going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and use your imagination uh, to meditate, which is actually what a lot of biblical meditation is. It's, it's, you look at it in David, in Psalm 23, for instance, and, and he uses his medita- his imagination to help him connect to this unseen God. So I'm going to ask you to join me in that, if you'd close your eyes. Lord, we ask right now that your spirit would be with us and that you would guide our thoughts and that you would be glorified in our imaginations now that you would show yourself to us again. And I'm going to lead you back a little bit through where we went last week and then I'll take you to the next step. Last week I asked you to just try to picture in your mind a safe place. A place where, um, you know, maybe it's a place you grew up in that that you always felt safe there. You just always felt at peace there. There's never any worry at that place. Or, or maybe it's a made up place like, a, like a, a meadow with a mountain or sitting by the ocean. But just where's a, where's a really safe place that just makes you feel completely refreshed and at peace? Picture that in your mind. And take a moment to look around and examine the surroundings. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel? Can you sense anything? i want you to see jesus coming into the picture with you you know maybe maybe you maybe you'll see that or sense it by a, a hand on your shoulder or maybe you'll feel like he's beside you or maybe you'll see his face looking at you i don't know just ask him to come in this picture and see him coming in see him smiling at you See him just being there, being the God who's always there. Now I want you to practice listening by just simply asking a question. Say, Jesus, where do you want to heal me today? And then trust him, trust your thoughts, trust him to speak to you. Jesus, where do you want to heal me today? Lord, thank you that your presence is here with us. Thank you for so amazingly showing us how you are there with us always. Thank you for so amazingly showing us that you want to heal every aspect of our lives, that you are the God who is the restorer of wholeness to us. Lord, I pray for those who... What came to mind for healing was a, an emotional scar. Lord, I pray that your spirit would come to them and that you would bind up that wound. That they would see your tenderness towards them. That they would see your truth enacted towards them. Of how beautiful you've made them in that area. And how you want to restore that. Lord, for those who are wrestling with sin, I pray that they would see your smile and your tender countenance of forgiveness to them and that they would rest in that. Lord, come by your Spirit and do that now. And Father, for those who are asking, who who, who you're wanting to bring physical healing today to, Lord, I pray that your spirit would come and touch them. That you, Lord, would be glorified in our midst as the God who's always there and as the God who is intent on healing us. That we would see that and that our community would see that. Come, we welcome you as our healer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Here's how I want to close. If you felt like God spoke to you about an area uh, that He wants to heal today, I'd like to challenge you, invite you, encourage you. Challenge is too strong a word. I don't like that word. I want to invite you, I want to encourage you to turn to somebody safe around you or go to somebody safe around you and just say, hey, would you pray for me for this? I believe this is what God wants to heal in me today. Just do that. And uh, we're gonna just have some music put on, and basically we're gonna dismiss now. But I'm gonna ask you to just hang around and pray with friends, and that's okay. You know, some of you probably ask that question, and you go, ah, "How do I know that's really my me, or how do I know that's really God, or me, or I'm not sure I heard anything?" It's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Uh, even if you think it may have been you, why don't you risk having somebody pray for that area for you, um, and just see what God does? You know what? We'll just see. We'll just practice. It's okay to practice in this stuff. God's going to teach us how to listen to Him and teach us how to respond. And we're going to get better and better at it if we just continually practice. Okay? So I'm going to give you some practice time. Have a great week. Happy Father's Day. If you would like somebody to pray for you that you don't know anybody here, then there'll be a few of us down here who will hang around and pray as well. Have a great week. God bless.